morning to you. It is so good to see all of you. I feel like I have had a resurrection of my own. Um, this week, we weren't feeling good in our home. Um, I'm, I'm negative uh, when it comes to COVID, but I, I did have COVID in the beginning of the week. And, um, but I tested negative uh, for a few days now, so I, I'm safe, but I'm going to stay a little bit distant from you. Um, if you want to come up to me and say hi, that's great. I'll give you a hug, shake your hand, whatever. Um, but I just wanted to let you know, I uh, wasn't feeling good this week, but I, I'm back. I feel like I have been, yes, thank you. Thank you. It's perfect timing as well because I, I, I fly to New York tonight to see my family. And so I just thank God that, that all seems to be working out, not according to my plans, but according to his plan, right? Um, this morning, I want to share a message um, called Crowned in Glory. And today's the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, Good Friday, as I tuned in online and, and watched the service, I, I was taken with um, the power of the cross and, and just the focus on reflecting on what Jesus did for us. That here is God who became man to live like me, to die as me, so I could be resurrected with him. Ever stop to think about that? The, the power of what Jesus did for us and the submission to death that Jesus did for us. And as we shared communion and I, I watched as people, you know, came to the cross and touched the cross, I was just moved. I was just moved to see all of you have this moment with, with Jesus at, at the cross. But he's not on the cross anymore, amen? amen. He has risen. He has raised to life. Um, turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time in Luke this morning and we also will have the verses on the ginormous screens here, and it'll be in a font that I'm hoping that you can read um, as we read through Luke. Let's pray before we open God's word. Father, thank you that your word is living and your word is active and your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that your word, Lord, is truth. It's not our subjective truth, it's objective truth. It's always true. It's always good for us. We submit to it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Our main point this morning is that Jesus has always been in our lives, whether we recognize him or not. He has always been in your life. Whether you are a follower of Jesus, we would call you a Christian, or whether you are searching, or whether you are just a complete skeptic and you don't believe this whole Jesus business at all, and somebody invited you here this morning, wherever you are at in your journey, Jesus is walking alongside you whether you recognize him or not. Luke chapter 24, verse one. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. 
Now, first of all, what are these women doing? Are they going to make soup? Why do they have spices? Why are they going to the tomb with spices? Well, the reason that they're going to the tomb with spices is because typically a day after or two days after someone is buried, someone might come along and kind of prepare the body with spices because the body would start to decay. The body would start to smell and stench and the smell would be coming from the tomb. And so the woman took spices to the body to to make Jesus' body smell a little bit better. But when they got to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. This is a question that we're gonna ponder here this morning for a little bit is, why are you here? What are you searching for? What are you looking for? What are the questions that you have in your life about this God person? What is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Now, the women in the story would be uh, Joanna, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of James, and Mary Magdalene. So three Marys and a Joanna are at the tomb. And this question of why do you look for the living among the dead almost makes us think that the, the women are looking for something that isn't there. They came to expect a dead body and they found an empty tomb. They traveled with spices to prepare the body of Jesus, but they didn't find him there because he had risen. He is not here, he has risen. And our Christian faith hinges on this moment. Our Christian faith hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, some would say that Jesus didn't bodily resurrect, that only his spirit did, only um, maybe a ghost of Jesus appeared. But what we're going to come to find out is that there's a very real bodily resurrection that happens. And it's actually proven in the scriptures. And Luke, who is writing the gospel of Luke, is a doctor. He's kind of big on science. (laughs) He's big on proof. He's big on evidence. Resurrection is not new in the Bible to Jesus. There are over 10, well, there are 10 resurrections in the Bible, individual resurrections. And there's even a passage in Matthew that says when Jesus rose from the dead, that bodies of holy people rose from the tomb and went into the city. So there's over 10 resurrections in the Bible. This isn't unique that Jesus has been resurrected. It's not a miracle that's unheard of. This supernatural act of God isn't unique to Jesus. The other thing that's mind-blowing is some of us think that he was raised to life and then he went to heaven. No, he was raised to life and spent 40 days on earth teaching with his disciples, meeting with people, 
Over 500 people saw Jesus. Over 500 people experienced Jesus speaking and talking and walking and eating. Now, in addition to the facts about Jesus' resurrection, I want you to think about your own faith journey this morning. What are you looking for? Who are you searching for? Why are you here? As we continue our message this morning, I want to draw our attention to a couple of weary wanderers along a road to a village called Emmaus. There's two disciples who are walking along a road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile journey, and we're going to read about these two characters. How are we doing so far? Both of you are doing great. That's awesome. The rest of you are stuck here due to Canadian customs and culture of not being rude. So I'll continue. Luke chapter 24, verse, I'm going to start in verse 13, which is a little earlier than your notes. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself walked up alongside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Some of our women amazed us, they said. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. And so this is the image that we have is that these two sad wanderers are are talking about the, the day and they're talking about that Jesus died. And then they're questioning that these women went to this tomb and and Jesus wasn't there. And Jesus just shows up and walks alongside them. And it says they were kept from recognizing him. Why didn't they recognize him? Well, some think that God kept them from recognizing him. Some think that Jesus was so disfigured. Remember, the body that came back to life was not a glorified, shining, gleaming, lightning, ghost, angelic body. It was the body of Jesus Christ, the same one that died on the cross. Could could Jesus have been so disfigured, so beaten, so scarred with blood all over. Can you imagine what he looked like? But Jesus joins them along the way. I'd like to propose to you this morning that even though you don't recognize Jesus in your life, he's been walking alongside you the whole time. We continue on in verse 28. As they approached the village, Emmaus, to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. 
The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Number one, it was not uncommon for strangers to walk along the road together. This was their kind of public mode of transportation. It was not odd for two strangers to walk together for a great distance if they were headed in the same direction. You have to remember that at that time, this was kind of their social life. They didn't have iPhones, they weren't texting, they weren't on social media. You know, nowadays, if people are walking along the road, they're just like this, walking into oncoming traffic. But back then, they didn't. Back then, people actually, this is crazy for you to think about. If you're on your phone, just take a break for a moment. But this is going to be crazy, mind-blowing information. People actually walked and talked together. It was craziness what was happening back then. They were doing it all over the place. It was the latest, greatest thing. People would walk and talk. It was also not um, uncommon if you were, if the sun was going down for someone to invite you in as a stranger. Because to walk at night was dangerous. You'd be robbed or killed and left on the side of the road. And so the fact that these strangers invited Jesus in is quite typical of Middle Eastern culture. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. When Jesus broke the bread, they recognized him. Once a month here at Northside, we celebrate communion. It's the one sacrament celebrated in every church all over the world. The Eucharist, communion, the Last Supper. We talk about the Last Supper, the the moment that Jesus sat with his disciples and he, he broke bread and he drank wine and he said, this bread is my body which is broken for you and, and, and this wine is the blood that I'm gonna shed for you on the cross and we always talk about the Last Supper. Can I propose to you that this is the first supper? This is the first communion. This is the first meal that Jesus will share with disciples. And isn't it curious that when he breaks the bread, they're looking at his broken body. And as Jesus breaks the bread and they're staring at his broken body with wounds and probably the thorns still, you could see the blood crown around his head. They see him. Jesus will always respond to our invitation for him to stay. Whether you are far from God or you've been journeying with God for a long time, there is always a table for two for you and Jesus. 
And as you sit at the table with Jesus and have communion with him and spend time with him, your eyes will be open to him as well. We continue our story. Jesus would have struggled with that too as he's walking along the road. He would have been like, excuse me, can you guys silent your cell phones? I'm just kidding. I don't actually care that much. Verse 33, now I care. (laughs) I still don't care. Verse 33, this is me, by the way. If you haven't met me, I'm sorry. Um, You'll get used to me by the end of this message or you'll never come back. Verse 33, they got up. The disciples got up from the table now, the meal with Jesus, and they returned to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two, the disciples that ate with Jesus, told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Well, they're scared. They're frightened. They think they're looking at a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. What an amazing scene. And I I see ourselves in this story. I I see ourselves with our questions and our our skepticism. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Like, did Jesus, the son of God, who claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed to be the son of God, did he actually rise from the dead? Well, I want to tell you that you should take great comfort in the fact that the disciples who walked with him for three and a half years, Jesus is standing in the room and they can't believe it. They can't believe it. And Jesus is saying, look at my hands, look at my feet. They're still not believing him. So he says, can I have a piece of fish? And he eats in front of them. And I want to say this to you because I think this is important. Sometimes we think that, that, that faith and doubt are, are always opposed to each other. But I'd like to propose to you that that. Jesus can bring faith in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your questions, in the midst of you wondering, are you really the son of God? Are you really the one who rose from the dead? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the king who is crowned in thorns and is now crowned in glory? Are you really? Jesus says, you know what? Come. It's okay. I can take your questions, I can take your skepticism, I can take your doubts, just come close. And what I'm reminded of here is that Jesus will always meet you where you're at. 
He will always meet you where you're at. But he has to be invited. He has to be invited in. We, we say that we invite Jesus into our heart. We say that we put our faith in Jesus, our belief in Jesus. If you do that, if you invite Jesus in, if you put your faith in Jesus, he will show you his hands and his feet. In other words, he will show you that he is who he says he is. 'er some doubt is the beginning of seeing and Jesus will meet you where you're at we continue along in verse 44 you're doing wonderful this morning by the way listening to all this scripture and Jesus said to them this is what I told you while I was still with you Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Another thing that happens when you invite Jesus into your heart, another thing that happens when you put your faith in Jesus is that he opens your minds to the scriptures and you begin to understand. I remember when I was uh, first saved, this was 23 years ago, and I was living in an apartment in the Bronx in New York. And I didn't have much in my apartment. I had a mattress on the floor. Um, I, I had a flip cell phone. I think it was the Motorola StarTech. Anyone remember that? I think it was that one. But I was sitting in my apartment. I didn't have a computer. I didn't have a TV. I had like two forks, two knives, a mattress on the ground. You could tell I was really living it up in the Bronx, super upscale. Not really. And I was working the night shift in construction. So I would, I would go to work at night and I would come home at 5.30 a.m. And when I first came to know who God was, my mom bought me a Bible And so I had a Bible, a mattress, and so I started reading the Bible. And I'm, as I'm reading the Bible, I didn't understand any of it. I'm like, what is all this language? What, what are these words I don't understand? What is faith? What is grace? What is redemption? And as I'm reading, I called up my mom and I said, this is nonsense. This book makes no sense. And she said, just keep reading. You need to heal your mind. I had done lots of drugs in my life, lots of alcohol, lots of partying. None of those things generate new brain cells. <laughs> They don't make you smarter. And my mom said, just keep reading. So I kept reading. Day after day, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. And then one day I understood it. And I'll tell you this moment of understanding when, I, when I'm reading God's word, this moment of understanding is where something that I saw in one dimension became like four dimensional. Words started popping off the page 
the Holy Spirit started bringing understanding to me about God's word, revelation about God's word. And I began reading the Bible. And as I'm reading it, it's reading me. I'm starting to read passages that are speaking directly to my life. I'm starting to see verses that are promises for me as a follower of Jesus. I'm starting to see verses of healing for me as a completely emotionally and unstable human being. I began seeing that there are solutions to every problem that I am facing in my life in the Bible. Can I just say to you that all the issues that we face in our life are in our soul. They're in our mind, our will, and our emotions. And this book the Bible, the scriptures come to life and they speak new promises into your soul, into your mind. They help you make better decisions with your will. They help you to be more emotionally controlled. Then the promises of God's word started leaping off the scriptures and my mind was opened up to the scriptures. Has anybody had that happen to you? I pray it happens to all of us because this is not a book. This is a person. This is a person. If it's just sitting on our shelf, it does nothing. There's no secret power to having a Bible on your bookshelf. But as you take it off and you open it up and the breath of God comes out and the spirit of God comes out, he will open up your mind to the scriptures. And some of you are like, I don't understand it. Just keep reading and invite the Holy Spirit into that process and he will open up your mind to understand the scriptures as he did for me. I promise you he will do it for you. And the result of a mind open to the scriptures, this is the super important part, is as I'm walking along and I'm opening up the scriptures in my life, the, the result of that is I begin to see I'm not living a life that is fruitful and healthy and good. And so the thing I do as I'm reading the scripture and I'm looking at my life and I'm reading the scripture and I'm looking at my life is I go, this is not the life for me. And so what happens is amazing thing. It's called metanoia. It's called repentance. I'm walking toward this thing in life. I'm reading the scripture and it's not lining up. And so what I do is I turn. And as I turn, as I turn and I repent and I follow Jesus, it makes sense. And as I turn, Jesus forgives me for all of my mistakes and all of my failures and all of my shortcomings and all my stuff and all of my baggage. He forgives me in this process. And I repent. Forgiveness is what God does. Repentance is what I do. That's what it's like to have our minds opened up to the scriptures. Jesus has always been in your life. Right in the middle of your questioning, doubts, pain, sickness, anxiety, depression, eating disorder. Right in the middle of your pride, lust, lying, 
Jesus is right in the middle of your life. He is a humble king. I wanna close with this point. This is from Philippians. Because it's important for me to show you the kind of king that Jesus is. It's important for me to show you the kind of glory that we are talking about. Because when we see the word glory, we think of pride. When we see the word glory, we think of power in the earthly sense of power. We think of a king that rides in on a war horse to lead a revolution for a people. That is not the kind of glory that we are talking about when we say crowned in glory. This is the kind of glory we are talking about. Have the same mind as Christ Jesus, the apostle Paul wrote. Have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, so have the same mind of Christ Jesus, who is God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, who was glorious in heaven, crowned above all else in heaven, Jesus, who is God, came down to earth to live as one of us. He set aside his throne in heaven for thorns on earth. And he became obedient. He became obedient to his enemy, death. He surrendered his will to death. He wore sin, he wore sickness, he wore shame, he wore guilt, and he wore all of that for you. He died for you, he died as you, so you can live like him. That's the king that we serve. That's the king that we worship. Jesus is glory in humility. And so I wanna leave you with these few truths that Jesus will always be in your life whether you recognize him or not. He will always respond to invitation. He will open up your minds to understand the scriptures if you'll put your faith in him. He is a king that is crowned in thorns and is now crowned in glory. And the same passage from death to resurrection is our journey as well. Let's pray. Worship team, if you'd come out.
Father, I, I pray that this morning as we look at our lives and we assess the things in our life, Lord, that are needing adjusting, Lord, needing changing, Lord, shifting, correcting. I ask, Lord, that as we invite you to the table, our minds would be open to see you. We would experience your presence, Lord. We would see you for who you are, Lord. You would open up the scriptures to, to reveal them to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.